If we have any children, three to six, um, that are still here, you're dismissed now for our, our uh, gospel project. Um, you know, here at Lyme Valley Baptist Church, we try to be imitators of the gospel in just about everything we do. Uh, when we come together, there's the, a time when the word is sung, there's a time when the word is, there's prayer, there's time when the word is spoken. And, and this morning we're going to have an imitation of the gospel and that when the young churches that were planted looked forward anxiously to receive a letter from uh, one of the apostles and when the apostles letter came they gathered together eagerly to hear it read. So I have Jacob's script and so we're going to hear the gospel read this morning. So, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's begin with prayer. Father thank you for your blessings and we just ask that you would take this time of, of the spoken word to be as a time of encouragement and challenge to all of us as your local body. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I have to say that uh, he starts out with a sports analogy, which you know this is not in my voice for those of you who know me, but hopefully I'll say the guy's name right anyway. The legendary college basketball coach, Jim Volvano, is that right? Okay, that works. I'm so glad I just figured everybody would know that. It's family, thank you. Uh, he once said, a person does not come, become whole until he or she becomes a part of something bigger than himself. So I don't know Jim V, but actually he had a, a pretty good handle on something that's profound theologically. It's an amazing observation. So in a world where we're increasingly focused on our own success, our prosperity, our needs, we must remember that ultimately we'll find purpose and meaning only when we look beyond ourselves, when we look outward, and specifically when we look upward. Pastor and author Matt McLaughlin writes about this, uh, about how in our sin we make God out to be the secondary character defined by how he comes into our story. He says, uh, so if I need saving, of course God will save me. Who, who is God? He's the one who loves and protects me. That's his role to play. That's how he fits into this story that centers on me. But then particularly as we consider the imminence of our death, McLaughlin goes on to write uh, that each of us begin to see that we're actually not the center of the universe after all. He says, I'm a usurper who deserves to be put in my place. I, I begin to see that God is the only lead in this story and that I'm a character in a story that's actually about him. Only when I see his glory and recognize that I'm utterly dispensable, am I prepared to be amazed by the gospel. Well, today we come full circle in the series of studies on the church. We spent the first five weeks of the series considering the nuts and bolts of what a New Testament church does and what it looks like, its offices. We considered the office of church member, church elder, church deacons. We thought about how we live out our faith and minister to others, primarily in local churches, local displays of the, of the global historical capital C church. This is that local pinpoint for us. We studied the ordinances Jesus gave us in baptism, the Lord's Supper. But when we began this study almost two months ago, we thought about the big 30,000 foot view of the purpose of the church. Our purpose is God-sized and eternal even though we may be small in number. He is, we're not merely a social club or a meeting for religious types, but we're caught up in the story of creation itself when you think about it. 
Back in early September, we thought about how God designed this world, you and me, to bring him glory. We're made in his image, and we're called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with image bearers of God, reflecting his glory, like little Aurora Joy. The earth is meant to be a sort of temple for the Lord, displaying his glory for all creation to see and rejoice in. And when we see how sin has corrupted this good design, how we seek not to reflect God's glory, but to shine our own pitiful attempts at glory, drawing praise to ourselves, this is called sin. And it corrupts and condemns all of us. This is what R.C. Sproul calls the cosmic treason of which we are all guilty. But the story wasn't over. We rejoiced when we saw how Jesus came to bear our sin on himself in our place and to die death that we deserved. We saw how in him we're a new creation, how his body, the church, is a new people again tasked with the commission to be fruitful and multiply spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth so that men and women are saved from sin and corruption. In Christ, as Roman 8 points out, we're conformed into his image so just like in Genesis 1, the church now is called to fill the earth with those rightly imaged image bearers of God, bringing creation back to its original very good design reflected the glory of God. And so last week and this week, we came full circle to that big picture. What's our purpose? Well, with the tip of the hat to Jimmy V, we realized that part, we're part of something that's way bigger than we are. We saw last week that the call on each Christian in the local church is to disciple and build one another up in the body of Christ. That's our why. We thought about that quote from Paul Tripp who said, in reality, you are a part of something that's immense, something that began before you were born and believe it or not, will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity transporting them into his kingdom and progressively changing them into his likeness. And he wants you to be part of it. Today, then, we'll conclude the series by considering the grand purpose and how it drives us to mission, to being a part of that grand master plan that God has for his church and for the world. Our mission as Christians in the local church, therefore, is caught up in God's mission for creation itself. We are called to spread life-giving news. So how especially does Jesus design for the church interact with how we think about our mission, specifically our task to go and make disciples of all nations? Well, I'm sure much could be said, but let me give us three big ideas, as you would expect Jacob would, give us three big ideas that we can link the local church and gospel mission. First, gospel mission multiplies local church. Gospel mission multiplies local churches. So Elias read earlier in, from Matthew 28, the famous Great Commission mandate from Jesus, the risen Christ, right before he ascends to the Father, he tells his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And his disciples did just that. We read in the book of Acts how the church began, first in its infancy in Jerusalem at Pentecost, and then spilled out into Judea and Samaria and onward, catalyzed by persecution, incidentally. We see the Apostle Paul come to Christ dramatically and turn from being one of the church's worst enemies to one of its greatest missionaries. 
As we read in Acts and Paul's letter in the New Testament, we see a pattern of gospel growth that is inescapably tied to the local church. Paul goes to cities, he preaches the gospel, churches are formed, he moves on, but carries those churches close to his heart, writing letters back to them. We see this in our one-on-one Bible studies of late as we study 1 Thessalonians. In that letter, Paul is writing back to the church he loves and has heartfelt affection for. As we see in the gospel, go out, we see churches formed. This is primarily how Christians grow and live together in community, local churches led by specific shepherds. So then an implication of this pattern is that the Great Commission must involve not only making new Christians, but new churches as well. We must be careful not to separate these things, church and mission, too starkly. So we as a church have supported two families, for example, over the past two years, who have been about the calling of planting churches in the Balkan region of Eastern Europe, specifically in an Islamic context. Their goal has been not merely to build relationships and share the gospel, but to actually plant a church. We support these missionaries through a missions network that we participate in called Bradstock. Their mission statement says all our missions ought to be planned and implemented with the local church at the core of our thinking. God has no plan B. This conviction that God's plan has always been for mission to be at the heart of local churches and local churches at the heart of mission lies behind our work. We don't ever want to separate the idea of the local church and and God's plan of salvation from the primacy of mission and God's plan of salvation. They go hand in hand. Even locally here, as we're engaged in our community outreach, we partner with Tree of Life. There are many reasons that we think Tree of Life is an effective ministry and and a God-ordained ministry in our community, not the least of which is their focus on the local church, seeking to be mercy ministry partners, but not in any way to become a sort of pseudo-church on their own, but helping those that they serve connect to local bodies. Here at LBC, part of our DNA is planting new churches. Why? Because churches are part of Jesus' plan for growth of believers and the multiplication of his people. Churches, as one author puts it, are embassies of the heavenly kingdom. They are, out, they are our gospel outposts that display uniquely the love of Christ. That gets to our second point this morning. Gospel mission happens in local churches. Gospel mission happens in local churches. And of course, I don't mean to say that local church is the only place that gospel mission happens. That's not true. God's work in individual hearts by the Spirit, and he animates those hearts to participate in what he's doing in all, what he's doing in all contexts. He works through parachurch organizations, through books and conferences and families to stir up his people to mission. But there is a unique way in which the local church, as an embassy of heaven, showcases the love of Christ to the world. In John 13, 35, we read, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is making a bold statement here that links what we talked about last week, our love and building up one another as the body of Christ, with what we're considering finally this week, our mission. Discipleship in the church must not be divorced from mission from the church. They have the same root. Our corporate witness as the local church is key to our mission, just as our individual witness as is a distinct Christian. So as members of the body, we go out and we share the gospel. 
We proclaim Christ. But as members of the body, we also get to show and share Christ as his body, as the church when we come together. Our love for each other is a testimony in and of itself that should compel the world to see the love of Christ being lived out. As Ray Orland puts it, community is mission. One of our first witnesses to the gospel is not just our first missions trip that we may go on, although that's really important, but how we live together as a church in love and care in unity and in humility, things the world are not used to seeing, in fact. In the local church, the gospel is preached and displayed. It's showed as young and old, all races, men and women coming together, uniting around a shared preferences or, or interests, not around shared preferences or interests, but around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is magnified when this happens. So last week, we asked you to consider if you were at work to build up the body of Christ in your local church. We asked you to run a kind of a self-diagnostic and see if there are others in the church family who are being spiritually benefited and built up by you. But now consider an additional question. Do you realize that in your love, care, and building up of your local church, you're actually on a mission for the gospel? This isn't about just patting people on, our, on the back on Sunday morning uh, that we come to church with. No, sacrificially, it's about sacrificially loving and being vulnerable to one another as members of our church and ser that serves as a witness to the gospel to the watching world. Community within the church is not cut off from your mission outside the church. It's part of your mission. Community in the local church is mission. We'll talk in a second about our individual call to go out uh, to, to proclaim the gospel, but that should never exclude how we must also build up the gospel witness within our church by our love, our demonstrable love and care for each other. We showcase the love of Christ when we love each other. So it's November tomorrow, so soon we'll be Christmas shopping. In fact, I started playing Christmas songs yesterday on the piano, which is like two days early, but I, so I'm just confessing before all of you and asking your forgiveness, right? And even then, we'll, we'll, uh, before then, we'll do window shopping and or, or, or maybe browsers on our computer these days, right? Do you have something favorite you always love to do each holidays? Is it driving around, looking at lights, or maybe going to a certain place to go window shopping? We certainly do as our family. Um, Jacob tells the story of going to uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is not far from where he lives, and that's a city that knows how to do up Christmas. Um, um, in a similar way, the church is a display window that allows the world to gaze at the love of Christ. We spotlight and showcase the, the gospel when we love one another. It's the way the world sees that we belong to Christ. Gospel mission happens at the local church. Finally, gospel mission scatters local churches. Gospel mission scatters local churches. This is probably what we think of when we first hear the word mission. We think about people going out from churches to places that need the gospel. Uh, at LVBC, we are a church-sending little congregation. And amen to that. Jesus' commission to his disciples is to go and make disciples of all nations. As members of the local church, the gospel not only is showcased in our unity and our love for each other, but the gospel compels us and drives us outward to our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, and our families. The gospel always draws us in and then sends us back out. The gospel gathers the church, 
and some have put it and then scatters the church. There's this corporate witness that we bear as a church and there's individual witness that we bear as members of the church. So as the early church in Acts expanded ever outward in circles, getting broader and broader, we too are compelled by the gospel to go out and to go and reach and to go to those people who have never heard. The gospel must do this. If it isn't, then uh, as some have put it, we're, we're just holding it as good advice instead of it being good news. News must be broadcast, and we are appointed to be the heralds, the broadcasters of that news. We must proclaim it far and wide. Indeed, we'll show we don't truly understand our identity and our mission as Christians if we don't contend merely to be good church goers without being faithful gospel proclaimers. The local church is where we come together and showcase our corporate witness to the love of Christ. But we must not simply stay put there. These four walls must not be the extent of our witness. Let the gospel be celebrated here, drive us out there, urging people to be reconciled with Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I, I, I wonder how many sales pitches you may have heard from people like us, right? Have you ever heard a Christian begin a conversation with you something like, if you were to die today, where would you go? Or, what do you think about Jesus? Well, if you've experienced that, we want you to know that we're not trying to recruit you to a cause like a salesman would try and get a sale for windows for your house with 25% off. No, we truly understand that sin has corrupted all of our lives and our world. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came into our corruption and took our sin upon himself, dying on the cross under the wrath of God, paid, poured out on our behalf so that we might be saved. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you'll trust in Jesus today, you'll have new life, eternal salvation. As Christians, consider how you're obeying the commission of your king. I mean, really think about it. You have circles of friends, acquaintances, co-workers, relatives, whom no one else in this room would be able to speak the gospel to. Your position in that context is your passport to have conversations. It's your privilege and responsibility to do that. So are you? This is your mission from the king. You are sent out by Jesus and you're sent out by our church to proclaim Christ. How's it going? I wonder if the answer to that is not so great. Why is that? Maybe you're numbed by, the, by fear that you'll be asked a question you wouldn't know how to answer or that you'll make someone angry or uncomfortable, right? Both of those are focused on you, however, and they're focused on me. They're not focused on someone that needs to hear the good news. Your love for Jesus, perhaps, has grown cold and distant, right? Or maybe you have doubts. Um, the Great Commission that we talked about earlier, we all, can, we all know that. Go ye therefore, right? We can all say that. But the three verses that come before that are so profound as well. And I like to read that. This is Matthew 28, 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now think about that for a minute. 
These were men that had walked with Jesus for three years. They had experienced the highs and lows firsthand. They had seen the resurrected Lord. They had worshiped him. But some still doubt it, right? And what comes next is Jesus says, says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. He didn't say those who weren't, didn't have doubts. He didn't say everybody that felt, you're ready to go. He said, go. Because there's something about relying on the agency of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we go and relying on him as we have those important conversations, right? But just because we have doubts, um, there were people that saw him that had doubts. And that's really kind of encouraging to me. I don't know about you. Is that, first of all, it's encouraging and convicting that I don't get a pass when when I'm feeling that I'm having doubts. And maybe part of it is that we, we simply may not really believe that Jesus can change lives, that all authority has been given to him in heaven and earth. If that's you, start here. Start with a testimony of, of the local church, of finding yourself in a relationship with somebody that you can just talk about these things. Uh, it, there's no shame, no guilt about saying that you have doubts. right? In fact, there's a great book by Gary Parker. It's called The Gift of Doubt and talks about the role that doubt properly understood and properly worked through can help in growing our faith. Grow your love for the church, and in that way, grow your love for the lost. Um, Those spring from the same source. Consider how always to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Pray the Lord would give you opportunities even this afternoon to speak to someone in his name. You know that 1 Peter 3, 16 is a verse that we we kind of grow up memorizing and saying, you know, always be prepared to give a reason for the, you know, the the confidence that you have. Uh, But so often we forget about what the verse right before that says, which is a necessary precondition of being ready to give. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, and then be prepared. How many times do we want to just check a box, think about the four spiritual laws, or think about something I've got in my toolbox and I'm just ready to go with? The Amplified Bible says, uh, writes, or amplifies 1 Peter 3.15 this way, but in your hearts set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging him, giving him first place in your life as Lord, and then be prepared, right? So there's some homework we have to do, right? In addition to being prepared to speak, being you know, prayed up and ready to, to, to go to be, ask the Lord to use us as an instrument, but there's some personal homework that needs to happen. Are we centering our lives on Christ uh, as a necessary part of that preparation? So as we wrap up this series, remember you and your family here at LBBC, that we're all a part of something bigger than just us. We're part of God's storyline for the world. And as we conclude the series, let me remind you that where the story concludes, or rather where it actually gets started, in Genesis 1, we saw creation as a display reflecting God's glory. In Revelation 5, John writes, 
I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Now that's the big picture. That's our purpose. That's where we're headed. And that's what makes the church important. That big picture is what makes us see membership in the local church is important as we live out our faith and affirm each other's faith so that we can persevere toward our heavenly kingdom together. That big picture is why we have church elders to help shepherd and with humility to protect and, and to oversee and to teach the gospel. The big picture is why we have church deacons to facilitate ministry and to assist the elders so they can pray and teach. That big picture is why we have baptism. And that wonderful picture of death to life transformation in our union with Christ. That big picture is why we have the Lord's Supper, which will only fully be explained at the wedding supper of the Lamb when we see Jesus face to face. And that's where we're headed for, church. Our existence has a goal, the glory of God, for his people, in his people forever. So are you in? Let's seek to build up the local church and let's go on mission together, all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we've been able to consider the local church. We pray that it would, uh, serve, that it would serve us in the months and years to come to remind us that we're part of something that's much, much bigger than we are, reminding us that we're designated to bring you glory, that we have a destiny and we're part of something that you are writing, that you've invited us into. We love you, Lord. Amen.